Today, let's talk about the meaning of evil. What does our culture mean when using that term? And does that meaning differ from the way the Bible uses the term? Does the meaning of evil change over time? Are there things that we used to think were evil that no longer fit that description? And here's the big question. Whatever evil is, how can a good God allow evil in his world? Welcome to our podcast, Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathard with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for leading our discussion today on the subject of evil. Hey, Chuck. Well, let's get right to it. What does the term evil mean? What does the term evil mean? So um, from a Christian perspective, uh, evil is uh, any sort of brokenness, anything in God's world that isn't working the way God designed it to work. I think that's probably a big enough definition to cover moral violations of God's design and also uh, just generally things going wrong. So I was sort of expecting you to say, well, we got rules. God's got rules. Parents have rules for their children. And when you break the rules, that's evil. That would be a simple explanation for me, but the one you just gave was broader and a little bit more vague than I was expecting. So can you get me from point A to point B? Yeah, I, they're related, of course. I do think that uh, from God's perspective, that it's true. God has rules, and he wants us to follow them. And I, I'm glad that you brought up the whole thing about family. Everybody has rules. Society has rules. And when those rules are broken, we call that bad. Um, we call that evil. But we need some. We need something. Uh, we need a word to capture other things that aren't moral violations of rules that we all know are evil. Like the big one, of course, is death. We all have this sense that there's something wrong about death. We we we're repulsed by it, and uh, sometimes disgusted by, it, of course, terrified by it in many cases. Uh, death too is evil, even though death isn't exactly you know what rule are you breaking by dying? There's really you know there's really not a rule that you're breaking. Uh, but that, that we include that with evil in the Bible, that's included as evil as well. So breaking the rules, that's evil. Not breaking the rules, that's not evil. That's good. Simple as that, right? Well, yeah, as long I mean, as uh, not breaking the rules is good, but as long as we understand that there are things that aren't necessarily rules-oriented that are also you can also consider evil. You know, a, a bruised knee, probably we would... The word evil is frequently used in a moral sense in our culture, but we would call that bad as well. We would call that wrong. Any sort of suffering, we would call evil, even though that's not moral. What other sense is there other than the moral sense? Well, uh, you know, just the one I'm talking about, the, the, the sense of the things that are wrong in the world, things that are broken, a car that breaks down, uh, being late for work. Um, uh, letting your coffee sit for too long and it gets cold. You know, and these are all different levels of evil. That's the last one, example I gave certainly isn't in the same category as finding out you have cancer, uh, but it's something that's, that's broken. It's dysfunctional. There's something wrong with it. And that one's easily fixed. It's a little bit harder. You know, chemotherapy is a little bit harder to, to, to do than sticking your coffee back in the microwave for 10 seconds to get it 
uh, get a little bump on the heat, but they're both something that's wrong that needs to be fixed. I think that's a good definition of evil. So whatever definition you have or I have, however those definitions might differ, one thing I'm sure we can agree on, and that is there is evil in our world. I don't think anybody listening to us would say, well, I don't see any evil in the world. We, yeah. we all see plenty of evil. And then that brings us really to the question of the day. If God is almighty, and he is, right? Yeah. You asking me? I'm yes. asking you. I'm, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I'm looking for a verification here <laughs> just for the sake. If God is almighty, then why does he allow evil to continue to exist in our world? If he's almighty, can't he just fix it? Yeah, so I mean, this is this is the huge question. Um, why would a good God uh, allow evil into His world? I, and I guess I should just say right off the bat, uh, I don't have a good answer for this, and, and nobody does. You know, your your first comment in that question that everybody knows that there's evil that that's never been truer uh, than right now. And in fact, mo- most people. The problem isn't that people, you know, the problem in our culture in the West right now isn't the problem of evil, it's the problem of good. How can good possibly exist? You know, many people live in so much despair and with such a sense of foreboding. I mean, you see this all all, in any kind of of thing that goes wrong with with the culture. And of course, uh, not to timestamp this too much, but we're right at the end of the year 2020 here with the pandemic. And there's this sense in our culture now that like evil is just a way of life and you can fight for a solution for it, but maybe the better strategy, this is a human perspective, the better strategy is just to figure out a way to get used to it. How can a God, that's a good question. How can a God create a world where there are pandemics and wars and um, earthquakes and uh, uh, cold coffee and uh, bruised knees. How, well, why would God create a world like that? And the answer is, is um, to be as truthful as possible, I don't know. Does it make me feel better that nobody else knows either, that there's no answer for this in atheism? The answer in, in, for atheism, uh, you know, the problem of evil is, you know, one of the problems that atheism has is how, how do you define evil? If there's no such thing as God, then how can you call anything evil? If you watch watch a, a nature video and a gazelle gets attacked by a lion, and none of the other gazelles have moral outrage at that. I mean, they might run away, but you, but you frequently see other animals like making sure that the weaker ones get left behind so that they get eaten. There's no sort of moral sense. But, 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 but atheists, all humans, have this sense that the pandemic is bad. Cancer is bad. War is bad, and it should be stopped. Well, the problem for atheism is, is why would you feel like that? If there's no such thing as God, then we're just animals, and you take what comes to you no matter what with no sense of moral outrage. Where does that moral outrage come from? The problem for Christians is the moral outrage is easily explainable. Tidal waves, bruised knees, cancer, war, racism, they all violate God's character. But the problem for Christians is the question, why would God, if he's so good, allow that to happen? And the answer is, we don't know. None of us know. Now, from a Christian perspective, 
this is a little bit troubling because we would expect a God who talks, which Christians believe our God is a God who talks. We would expect him to tell us. And he does not tell us why, but he gives us tools for grappling with it. But, you know, unfortunately, there's, he doesn't ever tell us in the Bible or in experience why evil is in the world when he could, if he has the power to stop it. Suppose I were to answer that question this way. Well, the way God gets rid of evil in the world is to set up a series of rules, commandments. We can start with the Ten Commandments, and then calls people into his church and gives them the rules, yeah. and then we're supposed to get rid of evil. But we just don't seem to do a very good job of it, so it's our fault that there's still evil in the world. How would you respond to that? So when you say our, you mean uh, Christians? Christians. Okay. Uh, well, there's a couple different levels here. Uh, one, actually, yeah, there's several different levels here. One is uh, that's just too shallow. There's not the, the problem of evil isn't, again, it's not a rule problem. It's too deeply embedded in human existence. It's actually too deeply embedded in the universe at this point to be solved by rules. Um, now, that, that's, that, that is not to say that there isn't a rules element. You know, the, uh, the, you shall not murder, the Ten Commandments say. You should keep that rule. That's a way to mitigate evil. But keeping rules, you know, joining a Christian church and beginning to keep rules, that's not going to stave off cancer. It's not going to it's not going to cure anger, even in the lives of the people who, who keep the rules. So in one sense, uh, that's a little bit too shallow. Now, now Christians, does this, may, does this mean that it's Christians' fault? Uh, and, of course, that's complex, too. The answer is uh, yes and no. Christians claim to be people who are sided with the good God, who has the power to get rid of evil. Christians find themselves too frequently siding with evil, though. And there's lots of reasons for this. I'm trying to figure out if, if it's beneficial to like unpack all of this right now. But sometimes Christians, I mean, Christians claim to be Christians claim to be people who live or who should live lives of love because God is a loving God. And too frequently, Christians are shaking their fist at the person who cut them off in traffic or getting grumpy with the the uh, barista at Starbucks because it took six minutes instead of four minutes to get our drink or divorcing our spouses or uh, being involved in violent behavior one way or the other was supporting an unjust war or uh, you know, getting in tiffs with our neighbor. Christians too frequently side with evil. And so you're right. The other side of this, though, uh, in all fairness, and, and I would think that I hope this isn't just me as a Christian saying this, uh, that Christians have also, also frequently sided with good. The abolition of slavery in Europe and North America is largely due to uh, the consistent and uh, dedicated work that Christian abolitionists uh, did. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, says this, uh, that it was only the Christian belief in the image of God in humans, which if, if you are an atheist, if you are a materialist, you can't believe in that. Humans are just, we're just, you know, advanced mammals. Martin Luther King Jr. says it's the belief in the image of God in humans that brought about the end of slavery and that will someday bring about the end of racism. 
that this is a Christian thing. Uh, the existence of uh, many of our hospitals and schools in the country that you and I live in, in the United States, is due to this Christian dedication to health and to education. Those things would not have existed outside of that. The impulse of the government at this point to be involved in education and health is a reflection of this, is a reflection of them being in a, a culture that values these things. But many governments and parts of the world that don't value the image of God in human beings, that don't value good over evil, would not, be in, would not invest as much as our culture does in health and in education. So in all fairness, uh, we, uh, Christians have a long-standing part of, they are a long-standing part of the problem. They all also have consistently throughout history, in spite of their faults, been parts of the solution as well. What if I were to make this audacious claim? The presence of evil in our lives is really a gift. Because as soon as someone says, thou shalt not, we all know that there's something that stirs inside of us that says, yes, I will. And then we are faced with that option, whether to obey the commandment or disobey the commandment. When we disobey, typically there are consequences. And from those consequences, frequently we learn something. So in a kind of a roundabout way, the facing of that challenge that evil presents stimulates growth, stimulates um, maturity in, yeah. at the very least, Christian people, maybe, maybe even a larger pool than Christian people. So evil has its place in our lives. What do you think? Uh, so, yeah, two levels here. One is the here and now. That's totally true. Like, I, that's totally true. Like, w- we teach our kids, you know, don't touch the hot stove. When they do, their fingers get burned, and um, that, that's, you know, in, in any household that's had little kids, that's always a tragedy. It's, 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 it's not just a tragedy for the kid, but, you know, you know when, you're, when your kid gets hurt, the parent's heart breaks, too. You know, if uh, my golf instructor is saying, you're leaving the club face open at impact, and that's why you're slicing the ball, if I continue leaving my club face open, the suffering of hitting out of the rough on the right side of the fairway is a reminder, you know, hey, you need to actually do what your instructor is telling you to do. But that's true. Like uh, evil is a way, evil can be a way to, to instruct us to do it better. But this, this is going to drag us back. That's the first level. The second level is it's going to drag us back to the God question. Why is there a hot stove anyway? Why is there rough anyway? Why would God create a world where you're hitting the ball out of the rough nine times out of ten? Why would God create a world where hot stoves burn fingers? These are minor things, of course. Why would God create a world where there's cancer and war and bad people? That's the bigger question. And, and, and again, the answer to that is um, we don't know. I mean, there's, gonna, there's help. There's help for that. There's help for grappling with that that only the Bible gives. But as far as knowing why, we don't know. Part of the help might be to help us hit the ball in the fairway better, to help us know what, what surfaces in the kitchen to touch and what surfaces not to touch. But why those surfaces are there, why the rough is there, we aren't told that. The psalmist prays in Psalm 7, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. So it sounds to me like the psalmist has looked at this evil world and prayed that it would come to an end. Oh, yeah. 
And I guess since this has been hundreds of years ago since this was written, God said, no, nah, I'm not doing that. That's kind of disappointing to me. Yeah, so that's not just the psalmist, but every single one of us, right? Ever, you know, help this pain in my lower back to go away. Help this pandemic to go away. Help my loneliness to go away. Yeah, God, bring it to an end. Well, I mean, the good news, of course, is that for, for uh, again, for philosophical materialism, for, for atheists, universe is a closed system. There's no end to this. Uh, you know, your only comfort is, is at some point you might die and not feel the pain of loneliness or, you know, a virus or whatever again. In the Christian story, though, uh, there is an end to it. God is bringing it into it. And to the, the, so, the, so the question, why doesn't God end it right now? We can put that on hold for a second. We just don't know. Uh, the, but is God bringing it to an end? The answer is yes. God is definitely, he has a plan to finish off evil and suffering and to create a world where there is no more evil and suffering. So you want me to be a Christian, and you're telling me in the same breath that as a Christian, I'm going to experience the downside of evil in the world in my life. Yes. And that sometimes it will be debilitating, almost to the point of despair where a, a person doesn't even want to live anymore. Yeah, yeah. What kind of a God calls you into a relationship like that and then leaves you in that mess? Oh, there's two questions there. What kind of God calls you into a relationship like that is one question. What kind of God leaves you in that mess is a different question. Okay, so, the, the, so first of all, what kind of God would leave you in that mess would be no God at all except for a vindictive God, the, the, the kind of God who's interested in his own power, who's interested in slaves perhaps, the kind of God perhaps who's sadistic and enjoys creating things in order to torture them. Uh, fortunately for us, that's not the kind of the Bible. That, that's, that's not the, the, the kind of God who's described to us in the Bible. What kind of God would call us into that sort of a relationship with him where we would be involved in suffering? That's another question, and the Christian God is a God who does call us into that suffering with him. Now, he, he doesn't do, so uh, the, again, let me, let me just repeat, he doesn't tell us why. Here's the good news, though, is that, so I guess there's two ways to answer this question, all right? There's two ways to answer this. One is kind of a harsh way. And then one is a more gentle way. They're both true. They're both in the Bible. And I guess, so Tim Keller says that the way that you would answer this question depends upon who's asking it. If somebody comes to me and they say, here's the philosophical problem of evil. What do Christians make of this? I might give them the first harsh answer. The answer is found in the book of Job. Where? Job is going through evil. His kids die. He loses his crops. He loses his house. He loses all of his money. His life is evil. And Job is a great example, not just for you and me sitting here talking here, but if I, if I pick up a, a modern philosophy textbook, which is the kind of nerd thing I'm apt to do, it's going to have a reference to Job in there. It's, it, it's just it's it's maybe the best ancient example of grappling with this question of how can a God, if there is a God, and he claims to be good, 
and he claims to be all-powerful, then why is there evil? He's either good and he wants to end evil, but he's not powerful enough to do it, or he's powerful enough to do it, but he's not good enough to do it. In either case, the existence of evil shows that God does not exist. And the book of Job says the existence of evil is essentially, the reasons for the existence of evil is essentially unknown to us. And if somebody comes to me kind of with a you know, philosophical interest, um, in the college classes I teach on religion, a lot of my students who, who, would, who would describe themselves as agnostic or atheist, they'll frequently come to me from this position, just you know, intellectual curiosity. Their lives are, you know, they're, they're holding a, a Dr. Pepper in one hand and they're, they're leaving class and headed off to play racquetball with their friends, but they're, they're interested in this topic. And so, those, you know, what, you know what, is, what a religion, what does Christianity say about a God who would allow evil in the world? I'll usually give them the Job answer, which is this. You don't know. And Job doesn't know. The whole time Job's life is crumbling around him, he doesn't know what's going on. He knows that God exists and he believes in him. But he wants God to tell him, why are you doing this? I, don't, I didn't do anything wrong. Why would you do this to me? And his friends are telling him, well, I mean, clearly, you know, you're not doing the math right. I mean, obviously, you did do something wrong. God does not act unjustly. But Job's like, I, honest, guys, I don't. And I wish that God would come down here and talk to me face to face and I could explain myself. Well, God does come down in uh, the very end of the book of Job, which I would recommend to all of our listeners, God does come down and he basically says to Job, I'm not telling you, I'm not giving you, I'm not here to give you information. He actually, he doesn't, he doesn't even set it up like that. He just comes down and he says, Hey, Job, listen to me and I'm going to answer you. Were you there when I invented squirrels? Are you at the bottom of the ocean right now and can see what's happening there? Do you know where I store up lightning? He answers Job all these questions that, that but basically the message is, is I'm God and you're not. And Job will, you know, at one point Job says, I am sorry, you are right. I stand down. I won't, I will be quiet. And God said, no, I'm not done. And he keeps on going with these, you know, can you invent whales? Do you know how to do that, Job? And, it's, and at the end of the, at the end of the book, God never gives Job cognitive satisfaction. He never explains what happens. Why the evil? That's the first answer, is that if God is God and we're not, he's going to know stuff that we don't. He has his own private reasons. This is another Tim Keller illustration. Actually, he got this from Cornelius Planting, which is this. is um, uh, Just because we don't know what evil means doesn't mean it doesn't have meaning. My kids, when they got their vaccinations when they were little, didn't know what that pain in their arm or in their butt meant. It didn't, doesn't mean, though, that it's senseless. To them, it was horrifying, agonizing. For me as a parent, it was horrifying and agonizing. It doesn't mean that it didn't have it had meaning and purpose. That's the first answer is the Job answer. The second answer, I know I'm going on along here just to, to stop me if you want to, Chuck. The second answer is the soft answer, and this is the answer, as Tim Keller would say, you, you would give to somebody who's really struggling with grief and brokenness and, and real life evil in the world. And that is this, is that our God is not a God who stands above the world. This is, this is, my, this is my best example. I've used this in the sermon se- uh, several times. My, um, my son and I play, okay, so this is nerdy stuff. Everybody's going to forgive me. We play uh, 
you know, tabletop war games. So Axes and Allies is one of our favorites. And, you know, Axes and Allies, is you can play a World War I version or a World War II version. In both cases, you have little plastic pieces, which represent battleships or tanks or infantry units. And you move those around on the board, and the, your opponent's moving their units around on the board. And, and frequently, you know, you'll want to attack, you'll want to attack France. And you, you need to attack it. It's going to be hard to attack it. And you know you're going to lose a lot of pieces attacking it because Germany's strong and they control France right now, whatever the scenario is. And so you put your pieces in there, and you know you're just going to lose those pieces. But it's going to be a slow process of throwing more and more pieces in there, kind of like the way real war works, unfortunately. And But you know what? You don't care because it's just plastic. You pull the plastic off the board. You've got paper money that you earn every turn. You pay the bank paper money. You get more plastic pieces. Frequently. We humans think of God like he's playing a tabletop war game with us. Like we're just plastic pieces. And he's kind of moving us around on the board and he doesn't really care. And he's playing a game. Just, okay, I'm going to lose this piece. You know, hey, you get cancer. This piece over here is going to get dinged up. You're going to get a car wreck and you're not going to have the money to have it repaired. And he's kind of moving these pieces around and they, they puts them on the board, takes them off the board. He's having a good time, but he doesn't really care. Now, here's what, the, here's what the, the Bible says about this. This is, this is why Christianity, this makes Christianity, maybe I say this too much in, in our uh, talks together, Chuck, but this is one of the things that makes Christianity so different than every other worldview and religion. It's not that our God is playing a tabletop game that he doesn't care about. In the Christian story, God turns himself into a plastic piece and puts himself on the game board and throws himself into the heart of enemy territory. Our God makes himself a human so that he can experience the suffering with us. The question, why would a good and almighty God allow suffering, can't be answered, but it can be participated in by God himself. He doesn't tell us why, but he, he, also, doesn't say, he also says, you're not alone. You're scared of death. I've been scared of death. I was in a garden with my friends begging my father to not let me die. You don't like to be lonely? I've been lonely. You don't like to be hurt? I've been hurt. You don't like to have people opposed to you? I've had people opposed to me. Every single thing that we would describe as evil, God himself has experienced. He doesn't sit above us aloof, uncaring, unknowing. We actually don't know why evil exists, but we do know that God has bound it up with himself in some sense. And the question that, that you brought up probably at the you know 10 minutes ago at this point, you know, why would God invite me into this story is that it's a story where he's actually ending evil. The psalmist that you quoted, he gets his prayer answered. The person who's out there and is like, why can't I just why can't my back pain go away? Why won't this pandemic just go away? The story that God is writing is a story where back pain is taken away where pandemics are taken away, and he's doing it by, by taking on the pandemic himself. When Jesus died on the cross, he took on every evil in the world. However you want to describe evil, you know, like, like you brought up at the beginning, we describe it morally sometimes, that's spot on. It's also Shen Nis and balls in the rough and pandemics. God has taken all these things into himself and his son Jesus and He's getting rid of them. He's put himself in the middle of the board in order to absorb it, to win the game by becoming a member of the game. Now, one more thing. Talking about games. 
and and then I'll um, I've been talking a long time here. I need to take a break. Um, why we don't know, but we do know this: God loves to write good stories, and He loves to invite us into good stories. This is an example I've used in several sermons too. You're on a basketball team. The games that you're going to remember years from now are the games where you were down and you were worried and you thought you might lose. And you came back and you won. It's the, it's the dramatic games. The, the, the couples who go through struggles and come through those struggles bound to each other even tight, more tight. The, the, the guy who has to win the girl over by trying every trick he knows. That's the guy who will value the girl when he gets her. God is writing a story that dramatic because he loves drama. He loves getting rid of evil, and he's doing it in the most dramatic and powerful way you can think of. I have one more question, and uh, ask you to keep your question or answer as brief as possible because we're pushing our time. Yeah, that's here a my bit. fault. No, that's okay. That's, that's all right. Um, but the question is this, since you have introduced God in, uh, making himself a plastic piece on the board here, which really is the game changer yeah. for all of these questions, I'm thinking of the two apostles who in the book of Acts, early in the book of Acts, were out preaching Jesus. They get called in by the authorities, the guardians of the word of God, if you will, and they get reprimanded for what they're doing. Yeah, And one of the things that that happens is that they are beaten by those authorities, yeah. religious authorities. Yep. Beating them, I don't think is appropriate. And I think it might even qualify as evil. Yeah. But they leave that experience glorifying God for yeah. the privilege to, to suffer in this way for the name of Jesus. Yeah. They receive evil. They, Leave glorifying God. Yeah. That's not a, an outcome that necessarily follows a logical path. Can right. you talk about that? Yeah. So when, when God himself comes and takes evil upon himself, you're right. It's a radical game changer. It's a radical game changer. One of the things it means is this, is that if you're suffering, you're on his side. God became a human. He wants to be on human side. Suffering is not suffering is bad, by the way. I mean, I don't even think those apostles would say, hey, I hope I get beat up today, you know, because I'm a Christian. I don't think that's it. But when it did happen, though, it was a sign to them that I'm on the right side, that I'm actually not apart from God. There's no, you know, they didn't look to the skies and say, God, would you allow this? They knew for a fact that they were sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. And this goes, you know, Paul in 2 Corinthians describes his, his own suffering, not just in terms of like, I suffer because I'm a Christian, but I suffer because I'm a human who's connected to Jesus. He talks about shipwrecks. He talks about being lonely, about being in prison. And these are, these are human problems, right? And to experience these things and know, oh, you know what? This does not mean things are going bad. It very well could be a part of things going right. I could be participating in this war game being one right now because I'm, I'm with the right plastic piece. The other thing they've got going for them is this, is that they know they've won the game. Once God puts himself on the game in the plastic piece, I mean, that's the golden snitch. You know, if, if you, if you read Harry Potter, but there's no way you lose this game now, right? 
I mean, God's won, and no matter what happens for the rest of the game, you, you got you can't be beaten. You're indestructible, and so evil is for for Christians. Evil is not, and this is why, for instance, uh, people who know and love Jesus do their best in suffering to care for others, but they're not scared of suffering. It doesn't debilitate them because their suffering is a sign that Jesus, who they're connected to, has done his suffering and is now saving the world from that suffering. With your permission, maybe we can pick this up in our next podcast. We can talk about evil part two. Yeah, we should probably talk about how the world and Christians define evil and what the similarities and differences are. Well, I'm looking at Isaiah 520, where it says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Uh, We should come back to that. So that is so um, complex. I mean, that just clouds it up about yeah. as much as it can be clouded up. Let's let's pick it up there. We'll start with Isaiah 520. We'll talk about that uh, next time on our podcast. We want to thank you for listening to our Craving Answers, Craving God podcast with Pastor Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. If you have a topic or a question for Pastor Miller, please go to our website at stjamesglencarbon.org and click Contact Us. You'll be able to leave a message there. Thank you for listening.